Good morning. As Julia said, I'm Ron Kreinbrook. It's not my first time speaking here, but it is a little different this time. Um, all of you on the internet, so we'll see how that works out. Um, usually I like to go through things very technically through the Bible because I think the words are very important, but I want to do something a little different today. I just want to ask you a series of questions, and that's what I'm going to do. Uh, nothing really technical, just things that you might need to think about. Uh, the first one is, and it's not on the, on the questions for the banners, but I want you to think about some significant events that might have happened and you could, that you can remember the dates and times of. I'd like to tell you one of them. It was uh, November the 19th, 1984 at 6.52 p.m. Well, that's a lot of detail, I know. And Julie, you would understand this, uh, Shawnee Mission Hospital. And she's nodding her head. That was the day my daughter was born. And I got to see her birth. I have to tell you, it was one of the most awesome experiences I have ever witnessed. She was born very quietly. And uh, to be honest with you, I thought she needed a haircut <laughs> when she was first born. There was that much hair on her head. And of course, this first one, only one. And didn't really make a sound. I was really surprised by that. And they've, mom got to hold her. And I'm going, great, I, I, I'm, that, that sounds good. I'm, I'm waiting for my turn. And what did the nurses do? They snatched her away, put a little hat on her head, and she's gone. I didn't get to hold her at all. And I was very disappointed about that because I was anticipating her birth. And I knew it was going to be a daughter, and I was happy about that. There's nothing wrong with having a son. But for some reason, I always just wanted a daughter. There, was, there were no girl. I had, didn't grow up with any sisters. And there hadn't been a girl in the family in 55 years. And so I thought, well, tomorrow, I'll just get to hold her tomorrow. Because it's strange. I don't know about you, those of you who have children. You love them before they're born. Um, I can't explain that. And so I went home and immediately got the flu. And it took me three days. I don't normally get sick. And I don't normally cry, but I cried like you can't believe because I wanted to hold that baby. And I finally did, after three days, I carefully packed her away and put her in the car. I put a question out on Facebook, uh, what is it like for you? What do you feel and what do you think when you hold a baby? And um, I really love the responses, they were so very true. Uh, I like the one that talked basically about, it's an awesome thing, but it's a, uh, it, it's a sheer terror that goes with it as well. I mean, what are they going to be when they grow up? How are they, how, they don't come with an owner's manual, you know? And so there's also the awesomeness of the intricacies of that tiny little baby, that tiny little body, and all the fingers and toes someone said. And so what are they gonna be when they grow up? What are they going to do? I'm sure you've asked the same thing as, as parents. So the question also comes to my mind that's not on the thing is, have you ever watched adults when they're around a baby? Have you watched how silly we get when babies are around? I mean, we talk in baby talk, 
Um, they have no clue what's going on and the things that we do around babies. Uh, the old actor W.C. Fields, long before our time, used to, used to not really like kids because, or animals because they upstaged him as an actor. There's just something about babies. And um, Brian, you talked about you know, Jesus coming as a baby. And that's my, what my thoughts are today and what I want to talk to you about. First question, what kind of hope was stirred in Simeon and Anna when they saw baby Jesus? Let's talk about Simeon. Must have been a priest because he was there working the temple. And I'll give you a little background. You're supposed to bring your firstborn. The firstborn male was to be dedicated to, to God. And they came to the temple per the law. And they offered a couple of pigeons. That meant that they were very humbly poor. But they wanted to come and dedicate Jesus. And here Simeon was. But Simeon had been looking for something. And how do I know that? Because it says the Spirit had been talking to him and said that he would not die until he saw the Christ. And Christ being the Greek word for Messiah or the anointed one. Well, how did he know Jesus was coming? Well, he read the scriptures. And if you look in the Old Testament, which is still very valuable today, it talked about him coming, where he was going to come from and what he was going to do and who he was going to be hundreds of years before he came. So Simeon read the scriptures and he believed what they said. And he knew that we needed a savior, someone that could help restore the relationship between us and God. And so he was very thankful that he was going to be able to see this person before he died. take a baby in your arms, what do you think about? I, I, I'm thinking from Simeon's point of view and I'm going, I am seeing God. I am holding God. I am holding the answer I have been looking for, what that must have been like. And I can't imagine from Mary's point of view and Joseph's point of view, who have been visited by the angel and have been given some idea of what their child was going to be like, all the things that Simeon had to say about who Jesus was going to be. I mean, I'm sure you hand, to hand off your child to somebody is, is very difficult. I remember handing Sarah off to the ENTs, Shawnee Mission Hospital again, so they put tubes in her ears, and I'm going, I don't want to do it, you know? And then, yeah, Mary and Joseph handed their baby over to Simeon. And you wonder what the child is going to be, and here Simeon's going to tell you what that child is going to be. And Simeon's telling you that he's here as the Savior, and he's not only here for the Jewish people, but the Gentiles as well. That had to have been quite a message for them, and Anna as well. So when I think about what the hope is that Simeon was looking for and what he got to see was there is a Redeemer, there is a Savior, that can do something to restore our relationship with God. And that was the hope that he was looking for. God was so concerned about the restoration of our relationship to him that he sent Jesus. And that would be the next question. Why did he come as a baby? 
I mean, we know when he comes back again, he's going to come as who he really is, God, from the sky. But yet he came as a baby. What's the significance of that? I think about that. We have the internet, we have Google Earth, and you can look at where your land is or where something is from way up from a satellite out in outer space. But you also have street view. And if you really want to know what it's like, you need to get down to the street level. And that's what Jesus did. What's it like to be human? And I think sometimes we forget, as we say, he is fully God, but he is also fully human. I had a question on there about what quality, human quality about Jesus do you admire the most? It's interesting, I, there wasn't any response at all. And I think that's because we forget that he can identify with us. So why did he come as a baby? Because he wanted you to know that he understands the human experience. And then not just as any baby, Brian, you mentioned, you know, when somebody asks you, were you ever born in a barn? He could say, why? why, yes. Yes, I was. And where did he sleep? A feed trough. He didn't come here as some self-important person. He didn't come here in a royal family. He came here as a very humble person. And he gave away a lot of his rights and abilities, it says, so he could do that. Can you imagine what it's, uh, you know what a baby's like? Somebody has to take care of the baby, right? They're helpless. I have to feed them, protect them, and change them. And he allowed himself to do that so that he could feel and experience the things that we do. So when you think about it, when you think about Jesus and you think about the things that you go through, he does understand what that's like. And I thought I would make a list. What are some of the human things that Jesus went through that he could identify with us? Now, you may have your own list, and there's certainly more, but I, I came up with quite a list. It's really amazing. He does understand. These are just some of the things that I came up with. He was born humbly and quietly in an unknown town born in a barn, not wrapped in anything special. There, was no, there were no designer clothes to a very humble, poor family, welcomed by shepherds who weren't thought of very highly in those days. No kings came and saw him immediately. The wise men, Frank, came from afar. They didn't come until a couple years later. Um, helpless, like I said, they had to be taken care of. These are some of the things I think he experienced as he grew up, and I know what he did. And some of them don't sound very good, but here they are. Some people viewed him as an illegitimate child that is born out of wedlock and that his mother was unfaithful to a betrothed husband. That would be quite a thing to carry around. Um, can you imagine being the brother or sister of Jesus? I mean, he's perfect. Gives a whole new meaning to think, why can't you be like your brother? But they also thought maybe he was mentally ill because some of the things that he did. James, one of his famous brothers, didn't believe in him until after 
his resurrection. Um, so I can't imagine what it would be like. And then I don't know what it's like to grow up with a lot of brothers and sisters. I think he had like five or six other brothers and a couple other sisters. And that's a lot of people in a short space. And they probably didn't have his own room. Um, he got scolded by his parents. Do you remember that? He, got, uh, he was at the temple and uh, he stayed there and they walked home wasn't unusual to be in a large crowd of people, to not worry about your kids back then because everybody watched out for everybody. They find out a few days later he's missing. They go back and said, well, why did you do that to us? And he says, well, I have to do my father's business. But what did he do? He obeyed his parents. I mean, he's God and he obeyed his parents. Um, I'd say he also knew what it was like to have grief in his life. After a while, we don't hear about Joseph. So he knows what it's like to lose a parent. And here's one thing that I have never had happen to me. I've never had anybody that wanted to kill me. And as a little baby, Herod wanted to kill him. And so they left. And then the Jews later in his adult life wanted to kill him. And I don't think I want that experience. At times, he was hungry and thirsty and tired. And he did have a sense of humor. I'm thinking of his sense of humor right now, that he would ask me as an introvert to actually talk to you. He got angry at times, but he had reasons to get angry. He got mad at the money changers because they're limiting the access of people to God. I mentioned the two pigeons, turtle doves, that was, the, that was so even the poorest of people could have access to God at the time and could sacrifice something for the forgiveness of their sins. And it really made him angry that people were limiting their ability to see God. How many times did Jesus cry? What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. But he also cried when he came into Jerusalem. If you look at the original word, it meant that he sobbed uncontrollably on his arrival. He was slandered and falsely accused. He was betrayed and rejected and abandoned. And then he was tempted at every level that you and I are, and probably even more so than we'll ever know. He was also very loving and forgiving. And he spent time with the disenfranchised. He did things that nobody else would do or could do for the custom of the day. For a Jewish man to talk to a woman at a well, that was a no-no. And a Samaritan woman as well. Or to touch lepers. He wasn't afraid to do that. And he wasn't afraid to talk to people who needed him. One thing he did always do, and that was honor their free will. If you look at all the miracles that he did, he asked them, what can I do for you? He didn't do things for people unless they let him. He had a choice of being disobedient to God in the garden, but he said no. I mean, he toyed with that and was tempted like, that, like you and I are, but he just said, no, I want to obey God. And even though when he was dying on the cross, he had compassion for other people. I think about him looking at John and saying, this is your mother, and to his mother, this is now your son. 
even when he's dying. And even more so, the compassion that he had for the person next to him. Um, I want to tell you that Jesus knows what suffering is like. Absolutely. People ask, well, why does a loving God allow things? And I have to tell you, he already knows what the suffering is like, and he's done it himself. So my next question for you is, um, we all started as babies, what makes Jesus different? Well, he had to come as a human being because we as human beings, we failed the test. We failed the test of being obedient. And there wasn't any way we can fix that. And God who loves us says, I want to do something about that. And the only thing that could be done was to ask his son to come here and pass the tests that we couldn't. And so he had to become a human being. He had to do everything perfectly. I mean, he kept all of God's commandments. I can't do that. He had to pass the, all the temptations. I can't do that. He obeyed his father even to the point of death. And I can tell you, I didn't always obey my parents. Um, so in other words, he paid the price for us. The next question I have for you is, so what will you do with the Christ of Christmas? That's what I asked a few years ago, and now I've kind of changed the question to, what will you do with the gift of hope that Jesus has for you? I remember um, going to Bethany Elementary, which is now uh, a senior living center, and I've always thought, well, I started there as school. I wonder if I'll end up there as an old guy. <laughs> the playgrounds kind of turned into the, to the living area. My mother tells me that she walked me to kindergarten, and you could do that back in the day, um, back in the early 60s. And she walked me there a few days, and that after a few days, I looked up at her and I said, I can do it myself. And so, um, I don't remember that at all. Sounds like me. And so she let me walk, but she said she followed me for a few days. And um, that's a good thing that you can do things for yourself, but it's also a bad thing, really. Um, there have been a lot of babies born. I think of uh, and become famous philosophers and famous people. And, but what really makes Jesus different is that they're all dead. And they never offered a way of redemption. But Jesus is alive and he does offer us a way of redemption. The problem is, at least for me and maybe for you, is those famous words I said to my mother, I can do it myself. And that's usually when I get into trouble and when I don't do things that I should. I don't know where your experience is today with God. You may not even believe in God. You may believe in him, but, you know, it doesn't really fit in with my lifestyle or the things that I want to do because I can do it myself. Or... It may be that you do have him in your life, or maybe you're thinking about it. I'd like for you to consider the baby of Christmas, one who knows who you are, who has loved you before you were born,
who knows what it's like to be you. All the things that you have experienced, there's nothing that he hasn't experienced himself, and maybe then some. I'd like to ask you to do a few things. I would like to ask you to consider Jesus. Some of you have already accepted him. And we've been talking all month about repent and believe. And I would like to just ask you to consider that. What does that really mean? Those of you who know Christ already and know the best way for it to work is number one, you have to believe that God exists. You have to trust him and you have to believe that he's in charge. And that's a tough thing to do. If you're struggling with that, it's going to be difficult. I have done that myself because that I want to do what I want to do gets in the way. And sometimes I don't think he always knows what he's doing. And you ask a lot of questions, why? There's nothing wrong with asking the question, why? What I've learned, though, the question really is, what is the opportunity? The second thing is why we struggle and why we may not accept Christ is because, well, this. Do you really believe it's the word of God? Do you really believe it's without error? Do you really believe that it's relevant for today? Do you really think that it's interpretable? And I would say to all of those things, yes. Look at Simeon. How did he know that Jesus was coming? Well, he read the scriptures and he believed God. And those scriptures told hundreds of years ahead of time where he would be born, how things would be in his life. The whole Old Testament is about Jesus. And so there must have been something true and relevant about that. And I believe the New Testament is the same way. Do you believe this is really is the word of God and that it's interpretable? So my challenge to you is, I don't know what you believe about this book or about God, but I want you to challenge God and I want you to read something out of here. Maybe you've never read it before. The book of John, very simple gospel, tells a simple story. John was an easy writer. Um, it's one of the first ones we learn to translate from because he's just an everyday kind of person. And he tells the story so well. But when you read this, I want you to really believe in your heart. And I want you to ask God to reveal himself to you in some way. And I believe after reading this, and maybe you'll have to read it twice, but if you look and you watch out, God will reveal himself to you and let you know that he is real. And he will let you know that this book is true for your life. The difficult part is going to be this. I can do it myself. And that is you're going to want to do what you want to do, and it's going to challenge you. I know one uh, famous writer and speaker who was a former Muslim, and he said, it took me nine years to become a Christian. And first he had to go back and forth on these first two questions. Do I believe that God is really in charge and that he exists? He knows what he's doing. Will I trust him? He said, I got by that one. Then I had to go to the scriptures 
And I finally got by that one that I could believe what it said was true and that it was relevant. But you know what the hardest question was? Am I willing to follow what it says and am I willing to give my life to God? And that took him nine years. But he said it's been very worth it. And I would say the same thing to you. Jesus knows who you are. He knows where you've come from. Will you trust him today? Will you accept him into your life? You know, you can't earn it. It would be easier if you could, or you could write a check. Because like I said, the hardest thing is giving up on self and accepting that you do need a savior because we do things that are not right and we need to be forgiven. The best thing about it though is that he gives you help to do that. He gives you the Holy Spirit who will teach you, who will be with you, will help you interpret that word, but you gotta wanna do it. We're gonna pray here in a minute and I'm gonna ask some of you if you would like to accept Christ that you would follow the prayer and then read John and trust that God will find you and he will speak to you. Truthfully, that's how I got to this church when I needed a church. He didn't uh, tell me to come here. I asked him, I need a place to go. And he answered my prayer almost immediately. And so I do know he cares and I know that he'll probably speak to you in a tiny little detail that only you will know. But you have to look for him. And you have to ask him because he's not going to force himself upon you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word, which I believe and have found it to be true to this day. Everything about it. The hard part has been the trusting of you and the willingness to do what it says. And I know that you do exist and I thank you for coming as a baby and as a human being. You didn't have to do that, but you put yourself in our place, did what we could not do, suffered greatly to give us an opportunity to have forgiveness, to have the spirit in our life and to have a restored relationship with you. And so I wanna ask that you would meet those who ask for your forgiveness, that we would confess what we have done to you. You already know anyway, it's not like we can hide that from you. And that we would be sorry for what we have done. And to repent means we wanna go in another direction and that we would ask you to help us to do that. And that through your Holy Spirit, you would help us. And when those times come that say, I can do it myself, which isn't necessarily a bad thing on some things, but some things it is, to help us to go your way, which is the better way. So help us, Lord, as we read your word Help us to find you. Show us that you exist. 
and we'll thank you for everything that you do for us. In your name we pray, amen.